In the Ring with Eusebius Makaiser. Eusebius Makaiser. You know, there's so much happening in the world that actually I really don't want to speak about um, this particular case that so many of you have asked me about, and that is the case in which Julius Malema in the last couple of weeks has been in the media because AfriForum would like it to, in fact, uh, be the case that Julius Malema is compelled to apologize for singing the liberation song Dubuli Burnu, uh, which most of us know as Shoot the Boer. And um, I think that the whole case is a waste of time. I mean, the idea that it incited violence against farmers and that it can still do so imminently is absolute balderdash. There are many other issues in the country and in the globe that I would far rather be doing a podcast on or talking about the wonderful hardy dars of Joburg that you can hear outside. We should be talking about uh, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine and try to get to grips with some of the large geopolitical questions that are immediately raised by that particular event or a small part of that conversation, what should be South Africa's stance. We should also be still deconstructing and making sense of the numbers coming out of the budget speech last week, because that's critically important. If you truly want to understand what matters to the state, then you have to A, evaluate their actions, and B, closely aligned to that, see the allocations that are made after taxes have been collected, because the way the money gets disbursed gets you to know what the true priorities of the state are. But here I am, because so many of you have asked me on social media over the last two weeks, and I resisted answering, answering the question, what do you make, Eusebius, of what's going on? What do you make of this uh, Every Forum and Aaron's Roots versus Julius Malema? So, for better or worse, here we are. And I guess part of the reason I'm tired is because this is not the first time the issue has come up. I mean, this is one of those discussions that just, you know, every other year comes up and we rehearse the same arguments for and against. It's a little bit like Roe versus Wade in the state and the right to access a safe abortion. That is an issue that every generation seems to grapple with. And by now you would have thought you have proper legal and moral clarity about the right of a woman to make decisions about her own uh, well-being. But be that as it may, the question pops up every other generation because conservatives keep trying to make it an issue. And the same goes around this question of should the poor or you know whether or not that particular liberation song is one that should be assigned to the, to, to the dustbins. Now that's a little bit of a vague suggestion because you can consign something to the dustbins of history ethically and politically, but here we have a legal case. And as always, as you know, on this podcast, we try our best to understand distinctively legal issues, moral issues, and political issues. I think it's hard with this one because the issues are so unmeshed. And you saw that in, for example, the way in which uh, Mark Oppenheimer, the lawyer for the other side, had Julius Malema having him by his proverbials and responding to him politically. And effectively, what what Aaron's Roots inadvertently had done is really to open opportunity for Julius, young as he is, to sound as if he was there in the trenches in the 70s, fighting against the Nats and fighting for political freedom for our country. And it was really an opportunity, just as we used to see in the olden days, of having yesteryear's heroes using the court for political pamphleteering. And that's all that went down. I've got lots to say about what happened, but I think 
giving you a slice of what happened and the unlikely event that you missed it may be a good starting point. Now, some of the audio from the internet is not that great, but let's see whether we can listen to what Julius Malema said by way of describing why it is, in his opinion, that someone like Aaron's Roots completely misunderstands uh, liberation songs and where they fit into black life and, so, and you know, our history. Roots will not have that appreciation because the black people Roots know the first black person he saw is a domestic worker in his house when he grew up. The second black person he saw was a security guard at the gate when he got out. The third black person he saw was a cashier at the shop owned by white people. The fourth black person he saw was the cleaners where he went to school. Those are the blacks he has had an interaction with. And he thinks of us like that because that is his exposure to black people. And, 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 and therefore, always characterizing us as non-thinkers, uh, as, 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 as baboons, as people who can't think. And that's why if they hear a leader says, kill the boer, they can go into the house and take machete and go and kill people. Because these are non-thinkers. That's how they view us. That's how they characterize us. It's unfortunate that we find ourselves in a society where we coexist with such people who look at us and who think of us like that. We don't think like that about them. Our leaders never thought of like that about them. Despite the fact that they engaged in genocide of black people when they came here, despite conquering us in the wars of disposition, despite killing kids in 1976 and in the 80s, we don't think of them like that. We never thought of them like that. But they think like that about us. Now, I think I'm going to call this, by the time I write up the blurb for this episode, Lessons for Racists. And I'm afraid Julius Malema is stunningly brilliant in the 90-second clip that you just heard there. you got to suspend what you think of the rest of his politics. Just stay with this moment. Otherwise, you will miss an opportunity to learn some important lessons if you are a racist. The first lesson for racists that Julius is spot on about, do not assume that black people are incapable of thinking, of rational thought, that we are mere automatons that can be given a command and we act on it because we lack the ability to think for ourselves. That's a deep racist assumption about black people. And it is intrinsic to white supremacy to think of black people as thoughtless and as goons that can easily be used by a chief type of anthropologizing of black people. And that's why I'm so tired of this debate because I feel like a stuck record. Analysts, commentators older than me have made that point for decades and centuries. And, you know, then we are born as the next generation of black people fighting these issues in discourse, politically, in communities, within the political arena. And we probably are mouthing the things that have been said before by those who came before us, older scholars, analysts, political activists. 
And then those who are younger than myself, like the fallists, reproduced the same responses, necessarily so, because white supremacy refuses to go out of fashion. And that's why I was reluctant to do this podcast, because these are not new issues. For Pete's sake, Ernst, when are you going to accept that black people are capable of rational thought? Now, why does that matter? Because as soon as you ascribe intelligence, a modicum of intelligence, to black people, then you begin to see why the argument that singing a liberation song, chanting it, is incitement of violence, begins to crumble as an argument. It begins to crumble because it rests on the false assumption that black people will hear a song like that and immediately hear it as a command to go and attack white people. It is empirically false and it rests on a racist assumption about black psychology. And I really can't say it more plainly than that. I, I, I can't. It is that simple, that blunt, that ridiculous, that false. And yet despite that, I'd better save this audio because we can predict with near certainty three years, five years, three months from now, we're going to have to rehearse the same lesson for white supremacists because they refuse to accept that black people are capable of thinking. You will not find Aaron's Roots making the same ridiculous assumption about a white group of people not having the ability to think for themselves when they hear language that is tapping into an historical memory of oppression. I mean, firstly, it's going to be tough to find an analogue because anti-black racism and white supremacy is a very unique, ubiquitous part of global history that white people, and again, Julius is correct, can't understand because they don't have the same historical tropes in terms of their own social history. I mean, some white people do, but the average young white South African like Aaron's Roots does not know what group oppression looks like, feels like, hasn't experienced it, doesn't have that memory. And even as a relatively young South African, I do, and Julius Malema does, but we also know that the black person standing next to us at a taxi rank is not an idiot and built into the arguments from Mark Oppenheimer, Afri Forum, and the variations on these guys, pardon the gentle snoring of my puppy in the background, built into their argument is an assumption that black people have got single-digit IQs, which is part of the reason why it's so annoying to, to have to do this kind of work. So that's lesson number one. Do not think that black people are idiots incapable of thinking and incapable specifically of rational thought. Then there's a second lesson here for racists that Julius is delivering you freely. You should pay the guy for diversity training and for giving you training on implicit bias and explicit bias. And that second lesson for racists is make more generous assumptions about the humanity of black people than you currently do. You know, there's a moment there in that 90-second clip that I played for you where Julia says, despite 
and, and it's so profound. You will miss it if you if you don't like thinking of Julius as 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 someone that you are capable of liking. Because there's so many other reasons to 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 be scared of his politics. But you've got to stay in that moment because otherwise you're going to miss an opportunity as a racist to learn a lesson from Julius. Where Julius says, my Lord, despite the fact that, that they have been involved in wars of genocide, we don't make that assumption about them, i.e. that they are just you know, a bunch of goons who are wild and feral. And I want to transpose that point a little bit and put it this way to make it a distinct second lesson from the first lesson. Now remember the first lesson? Don't assume that black people are incapable of rational thought. Julius is right. And once you accept that black people can think, you're going to stop thinking of, of them as so ridiculously easy to persuade that you can simply sing a song and they're going to go and find quiz and murder quiz. But secondly, rational thought is one thing. There's something even more upsetting about white supremacy. You don't afford us a modicum of humanity. You don't see us as fully human. That's even more dignity trampling than not thinking of me as smart and capable of rational thought. Because rational thought is kind of like a higher grade faculty to have. But what white supremacists do is, not only do they think I'm not smart as a black person or capable of critical thinking, they don't see my humanity. And if you don't see my humanity and see me in all the textured ways in which the phrase seeing me, seeing another person conveys, then you will not believe that I'm capable of empathy towards you because I have to be human in order to empathize with you. But if you don't recognize my humanity, then of course you're going to be shit scared of me because I'm not fully human in your eyes. The only way you can imagine that I might think of you and your interests and therefore defying someone that tells me to kill you, even if they were trying to tell me, tell me to kill you and they're not, is if you think that I'm capable of empathy which means that you have to think of me as being human. But white supremacists don't do that. They do not afford black people a modicum of humanity. They don't see you as fully human. And therefore you become a scary monster, quite literally. And it's the monster they've created as a construct that they fear more than an actual black person. The black person doesn't exist for them let alone a black person capable of rational thought. And that's the second lesson that Julius gives you freely in just a 90-second bite. I mean, I could, I could de deconstruct hours and hours of audio, but the 90 seconds alone is deep and beautiful and interesting if only you were to listen, right? So lesson number two, ascribe to me until I give you reason otherwise an assumption that I am fully human and that I'm capable even of empathizing with you even though we've got different skin color. Now what does this mean? Let's put together lesson one and lesson two and bring it back to, to shoot the boer. If you know that I'm capable of critical thinking, I'm my own person, I'm not an automaton. If you know that I'm capable of empathy, 
that I'm a human being with the same human psychology as you, then you're going to stop being so bloody obsessed and thinking of me as a one-digit IQ'd ruralitarian who's going to come and kill you and your family at three o'clock in the morning because I've got Julius's voice in my head in the middle of the night waking me up and then I walk around apparently like a, like a machine that's been put together mechanically and that's being controlled remotely by the EFF. That is how ridiculous your assumptions are that you're making about black life. I mean, I'm unable to care. I, 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 <laughs> I actually don't even want to continue to give you the other lessons and to give you more audio. I had so much more audio lined up. But I mean, for fuck's sake, how much more explanation must we do as black people that we are ultimately merely human, not subhuman, that we have the same psychological capacity as you do, the same intellectual capacity as you, and quite frankly more, because if you ask me who won that exchange between between Oppenheimer and Julius, I mean, there's no, no doubt in my mind. I used to adjudicate debating competitions for years at university. Um, if that was a final of a university competition or a high school competition, you know, every single judge on a judging panel would have voted for Julius Malema. And, and maybe here is some fun extra lessons to put in. Lesson number three for lawyers now, white lawyers, with either you're a bad lawyer or maybe it's part of your embedded racism. But either way, here's a third lesson, a general lesson, but in particular for white lawyers, if you have someone like Julius. Lesson number three, to not assume that someone who doesn't have a Model C or a private school accent is an idiot. I think part of the reason people prepare poorly when they engage, and not just white people for that matter, so this is more a class point, perhaps, than it is a race point. Part of the reason people sometimes get to, you know get off second best with Julius is because they assume that he's dumb, and they assume, even if you don't consciously make this assumption, because you might even say that I'm being false in what I'm about to ascribe to you. And that's the whole point of unconscious bias. You're not consciously aware of it. But nevertheless, it is doing work in how you are engaging with the world. People assume that if you have a certain accent, then you can easily be out-debated. And that is not true. Julius's command of language in that 90-second clip, I mean, the other clips I'm not going to get to, there's some beautiful other examples I have. You can go and look on YouTube. The interesting thing is that not only was Julius politically smarter than Oppenheimer and used every forum in order to pamphleteer as a politician for free, which is just politically brilliant, but purely on language. I'm talking language alone. Here you was showing that you can have an excellent ability to play with the English language, even if it's not your mother tongue and even if you weren't sent to St. John's College or to Pretoria Girls High or wherever, private schools in the Natal Midlands. Because Julia says to me, at one stage, this is one of the clips I was going to play for you, where the guy's like, well, 
Let me tell you about my parents who also came here and then he wanted to go into history of them being on a great-grandparents on a boat to South Africa in the 30s or 40s. And Julius responds on some, no, when I say you, I don't mean you. My Lord, I'm talking about your, your cli- about his client. And I'm talking about white people. So you shouldn't take it personally. Otherwise, I'm going to think you're not professional because now you are personalizing it. You've got to take yourself out of it and engage me on behalf of your client. <laughs> I was laughing my moobs off because in that moment, Malema was saying to him effectively, I'm adopting the second person pronoun, not because you and I are having a dialogue, but because I'm speaking to white South Africans in this moment, and that you are getting emotional by interpreting my use of language literally, but I'm just playing by the rules of the court where I have to speak as if I'm addressing you directly, but I'm actually speaking about your client. And I thought, that's just beautiful, 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 beautiful. He is showing that this guy, who probably fancies himself as a super smart lawyer, doesn't even have a superior grasp of his own mother tongue compared to Julius. And that's before we talk politics. I'm talking here purely a technical handling of the language. In the same way in which, and that's why I'm saying it's, it's not a uniquely racialized point, but of course the race and class element in South Africa always intersect. It reminded me years ago, and that's the other clip, that, that is a fun clip as a throwback, when Julius was in an exchange with, <laughs> with um, justice um, on the justice factor. And justice was saying to him, let me see if I can do a justice impersonation. Um... You, but Julius, you said you would, you you know, you 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 prepare to kill Zuma. And Julius just had the most beautiful retort without skipping out. Now, yeah, obviously Julius was being disingenuous, but again, you got to prepare well for someone, and people don't prepare for Julius because they have accent bias, they have bias based on regionalism where the person comes from. At that point, Julius had not yet completed his UNISA degree. There's also formal certification bias in our society. And Julius responded and says, how? If I said you are dressed to kill, does that mean that you want to kill someone? It's, it's a figure of speech. And it was brilliant. And the lesson there, the lesson there for, for the racist or for the classist black person is do not assume that you can have an easy interview, an easy cross-examination, just because someone doesn't sound like you and you and I had gone to either former Model C schools or private schools. And that's, that is really, really, really important. So when all is said and done, what do I think about what had happened? I think it's much of a muchness. I do not think that the song counts as hate speech. It's a chant of historical resonance. It doesn't belong to Julius. These guys couldn't even prove that he had sung it. And I don't believe Julius did not sing the song. I think he was being disingenuous. But again, he was so well prepared with his legal team, he knew that their evidence was shoddy. Their evidence was going to rely on on him admitting to uttering the actual words on the particular occasion that is at issue in 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 this case. But when all is said and done, my overall view is I hate the argument that it leads 
to the killing of farmers without any empirical evidence based purely on the assumption that black people are idiots who can listen to a song like that and go from historical nostalgia of how that song featured like many other struggle songs in black life and then suddenly being bloodthirsty. And the conclusion to draw is that the entire line of argument is based on white supremacist assumptions about black people's psychology, capacity for critical thinking, and our lack of humanity. Simply put, it is racist bullshit. (laughs) 